Previously on Seek Search, I had the opportunity to share some biblical principles to help us understand how we should react in times like these, times of significant distress and concern. Well, today, I'd like to reiterate a bit of that discussion and then provide some additional thoughts in other directions that we should also keep in mind and apply in our lives. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Seek Search. I'm your host, John Bingham, and I'm grateful for our time together. Thank you so much for listening. I hope it will be a blessing for you. Well, in the midst of a time of great concern and upheaval, God provided the key that we in every generation and in whatever circumstance should focus on. Back in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2 and verse 4, God declares, but the righteous shall live by his faith. And I would recommend to you, read the short book of Habakkuk. It's just three chapters long, and it gives us a perspective and an understanding by what God says to Habakkuk in his time. At that time, God's answers to Habakkuk's appeals and reasoning are not what he expected or hoped. But they pointed the way for the righteous to gain greater perspective and keep anchored through the storm at that time and for us to keep anchored in any storms that we may be facing. Picking up in verse 16 of chapter 3, his reaction was, When I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. And what he says is when I ended up really realizing that God's judgment was going to come against this wicked people all around him, his first reaction was tremendous concern, trembling, quivering, feeling rottenness in his bones. He trembled because he knew the difficulties that were going to come. And yet then he has a righteous conclusion, even with that first reaction. Verses 17 through 19, Habakkuk says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. That ends up being a righteous response, even in the midst of something that makes us tremble with concern. While the unfolding of future events was divinely revealed to Habakkuk in his day, we have no such God-breathed revelation to clearly understand all of the twists and turns of what has occurred in more recent history and what will come in future years. 
but the righteous will live by his faith. And so by faith, we know that as Daniel stated in multiple times in Daniel chapter four, the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And so by faith, we know and can rely on that truth. And by faith, we will heed the appeals to anyone who would hear and to respond to the appeals of God that came to Micah and came to Amos in difficult times when the people weren't wanting to listen. These appeals back then are still applicable to us today in any generation. And so God appeals to each individual, even if society around us is troubled. How will we respond when Micah chapter six and verse eight appeals to us and says, he has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Even if others around us won't do that, we each individually have a choice to make, and we can turn toward God humbly in the way that he calls. Amos chapter 5 verses 14 and 15 say similarly, seek good and not evil that you may live. So the Lord God of hosts will be with you as you have spoken. Hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. There's another way that we can live by faith. The righteous will live by faith when we are not ashamed of the gospel, but we proclaim it from faith to faith as Romans chapter 1 verses 16 and 17 declares. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. When Paul was making this appeal, he quoted Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4 and made application to us. In better or worse times, whatever comes according to the will of the Most High, let's resolve to be righteous, living by faith. As we shift gears to move on to other thoughts that will help us grow in the midst of these difficult times, let me pause at this point to invite you to reach out to me with your questions and comments. I hope you will email me at seeksearch at yahoo.com. That's seeksearch, all one word, at yahoo.com. Feel free to ask a question or make a suggestion. I'd invite you to request a copy of the short book, The Big Picture of the Bible, or ask for lesson one in our Bible correspondence course, What the Bible Says. Also, if you're on Facebook, look up Seek Search as two words, Seek Search, and like the page. I look forward to hearing from you in these ways.
Now, let's consider another passage that will encourage us in these challenging days. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6 gives us a great sentiment that we need to be thinking about during this time of distress and upheaval. And it starts out by saying, first of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Well, those first two verses, I, I just have to admit that a uh, long time ago when I was growing up or whatnot, I thought this verse was primarily saying, pray for your leaders. Well, it does say pray for your leaders, but actually what it says is that these entreaties to God, these prayers and petitions, and these thoughts of thanksgiving need to be made on behalf of all men. And this idea of all men is going to come back to us later on in a couple more verses. But it's interesting to me that our focus really needs to be about making these entreaties and prayers and petitions and giving thanks to God on behalf of all men. And when we do that, then we will have those prayers be for kings and all who are in authority. For what purpose? So that those kings and those in authority are making decisions in a beneficial way so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Isn't that going to be great if that turns out to be the case for us in the time that we live, being able to serve God, have godliness, have dignity, to live a life where we have some tranquility and peace and quiet. And so in verses 3 and 4, then it continues and says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior to ask for this for all men, for those in authority, that we may have that kind of a life. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The point of this is that God really wants a situation in which all men would become saved because they come to a knowledge of the truth. Is that our focus? It's interesting that we may pray for a quiet and peaceable life, not necessarily toward godliness or dignity or that all may come to a knowledge of the truth, but we just want to have an easy life. That's not really what it's talking about. What it's talking about is may we not have to suffer persecution, but the goal is God's goal desiring that all men would be saved coming to a knowledge of the truth. And so we need to have lives of godliness and dignity that are aimed toward helping others come to a knowledge of the truth as God desires. Well, what is a foundational aspect or a foundational description of this knowledge of the truth that people need to come to know and understand to be saved. Verses 5 and 6, for there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, 
the testimony given at the proper time. And so that is the, the truth that people need to know in order to be saved. Um, in the early part of Acts, there are a couple of different references where the apostles simply say, there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And Jesus himself made the claim, John 14, verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he goes on to say, no one comes to the Father except through me. And so that is the truth by which all men could be saved and what we need to be aligned with God's will in trying to share. There is one God, and the only mediator between God and men is Jesus Christ. Why? Because he gave himself as a ransom for all. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. That is God's plan. That is the truth. And so, 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is saying we need to be entreating God. We need to be praying and petitioning God, and we need to be giving God thanks but we need to do so with the mindset of desire for what is good for all men that our governing authorities will govern in such a way that we can lead a tranquil and quiet life, but one that is godly, one that is dignified, and one that is aligned with God's desire to save and help all men come to a knowledge of the truth of the one God and of the one mediator, Jesus Christ. Well, let's take that and then go and look at what Jesus said in his ministry at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7. The end of the Sermon on the Mount is very attention-getting, and we need to pay attention to the truth of this situation. And that is that in this time of distress and turmoil, there are lots of people turning to God in prayer, and that is a good move. But we need to make sure that we are truly respecting God the way Jesus calls us to. Because it's one thing to call Jesus Lord. It's another thing for Jesus to actually be our Lord. And so what does that involve? Well, here in the United States, we're not used to the master-slave relationship. We're not used to the Lord and subjects relationship as much as we're used to our freedoms in a much different extent. But the reality of Jesus as Lord means we are subject to him. And so let's see what is said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Just claiming Jesus as Lord is not sufficient. Let me start over here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, 
you who practice lawlessness think about that these are people who by all indications were likely very sincere in calling Jesus Lord and thinking they were doing some things in his name and yet what Jesus says is I never knew you depart from me why because you're practicing lawlessness you are not following the law of Christ you are doing your own thing in the name of following me you are practicing lawlessness the reason why I'm bringing this forward I mean this is Jesus speaking directly and the idea is this we've got to take Jesus and God seriously enough that we're actually trying to do what God's will really is what the law of Christ really is and we want to make sure that we are aligned with his will properly then he goes on and gives this illustration Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Why was it founded on the rock? Because we were hearing the words of Jesus and acting on them, doing what God's will was. Verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Jesus expects us to listen, submit, and obey and do what he has for us to do to do the will of the father and so how was this received afterwards verse 28 and 29 when Jesus had finished these words the crowds were amazed at his teaching for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes well he was teaching as one having authority why because he truly is the son of God he is God dwelling among us in the flesh when he is teaching this Sermon on the Mount but he is speaking with the authority of God he is speaking the will of God the Father that must be obeyed there is no way to the Father except through Jesus the Son well that opens up one last um, big passage that I think would be very helpful for us to be thinking about in all of the serious thoughts that we are having and, and being pointed toward during this time of distress. And that is simply, listen to the instruction of Peter as he's wrapping up his second epistle. Um, I just want to read, I'm, we'll have a few comments, but very few comments in the midst of just reading all of the last chapter of Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1. And I hope you'll see some of the themes that we've touched on or that need to be pointed out just by the reading of Scripture. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up 
your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. That's the Old Testament stuff. And the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. The things revealed in the New Covenant. And so verse 3. Know this first of all that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lusts and saying where is the promise of his coming for ever since the fathers fell asleep all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation for when they maintain this it escapes their notice that by the word of god the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. I will pause here and simply reiterate and note, there is this um, skepticism that can arise and does arise questioning the truth of the scriptures saying seems like life just keeps going on and keeps going on and um, nothing really changes there's not going to be this end that the Bible talks about and yet those who mock and are skeptical in that way they are not keeping in mind the truth of the reality of God speaking the world into existence, of God judging and destroying the world by a flood, which is an item that is mocked by so many today, but is nevertheless very fundamentally true. God did previously destroy mankind by a flood of water. And so God's creative power and his power over everything that is created and his ability to destroy has been demonstrated in the past. He's now preserved what we enjoy in the heavens and the, uh, and the earth. But this creation is reserved for a final judgment day in which fire will be the judgment upon um, ungodly men. Okay, well, let's pick up from there. Verse 8, 2 Peter 3 and verse 8. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. You remember what 1 Timothy 2 was talking about, that God's desire for all men is that they would be saved, that they would come to a knowledge of the truth. That's being reaffirmed right here. God's being patient toward us, trying to bring about circumstances whereby we can come to a knowledge of the truth because he does not want us to perish. He wants us to come to proper repentance. But, verse 10 and following, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. The reality of final judgment nevertheless remains true, no matter how long God may wait to bring it about. And so in this time of our 
strong distress and upheaval, it's a time where we ought to reassess, hey, are we simply living for the moment or do we truly have an eternal picture in nature? Are we taking God seriously like we should? Are we turning back to God humbly as we should in this time of concern? We should go back to the scriptures and heed the reality of our temporary existence and our eternal um, judgment, whether it be the godly being judged and being saved or those who don't turn to God being destroyed. Verse 11 and following. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. There is a hope beyond anything in this life. There is a hope that we, the righteous, can hold on to. And we know the promise of God will be fulfilled to be with him where righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Well, that wraps up our time for today. May we seek God and seek his things and seek his ways by searching the scriptures. Thank you so much for listening. I hope it was a blessing for you. You have been listening to Seek Search. I'm your host, John Bingham. You can contact me by emailing seeksearch at yahoo.com. On Facebook, get connected by liking the Seek Search page. And feel free to request a free copy of the short book, The Big Picture of the Bible. I'd be glad to send that out to you. I hope you'll join me each Saturday at noon and again at midnight for the next edition of Seek Search.